Komajina Trivinandasya, Janajina Salakaya, Chakshuan Melitanya in Tasma, Shri Guru Vena Maha, Vajkoptu Vischa, Gripus in the Vivacha, Titanam Pamene Vyo Vaishnavijina Mona Maha. Um Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya, Um Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya, Um Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya, Nasta Priyeshu Abhyeshu, Nicham Bhagavati Sevaya, Bhagavat Yutama Shloke Bhaktir Bhavati Naistiki. So, good evening, everyone. Uh, we're going to continue this evening with our discussion of the Tattva Sandarbha. Specifically, this evening we'll be looking at the revelation of Srila Vyasudev as evidence of Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojan as a valid logical approach to ascertaining and fully understanding the Absolute Truth. We've come to that stage in the Tattva Sandarbha where Sri Jiva Goswami has first put forth the revelation of Vyasudeva and the enthusing of Sukadeva Goswami by the content of Srimad Bhagavatam. Sri Jiva Goswami has taken the position that if we were to look at the Srimad Bhagavatam and look to a thorough understanding of what is to be conveyed by its contents in the context of self-realization, we have to look to an experiential revelation as to the nature of ourselves and the nature of the Supreme. And Jeeves made it perfectly clear that this is the nucleus around which Bhagavatam should be viewed and all the statements of the Bhagavatam should be understood in the context of their relevance in verifying this revelation of Srila Vyasudeva and the enthusing of Srila Sukadeva by hearing the Bhagavatam, the, protest, the presentation of the Bhagavatam by Srila Vyasudeva that resulted from his realization. So understand, Srila Vyasudeva had already presented all the Vedic literatures. He presented the, the Vedas, he presented the Vedanta Sutra, presented all the Upanishads, presented so many Puranas, narrations in relationship to those revelations by the sages of what was the content of the Upanishads. He'd also uh, given to humanity the uh, historical narration, a story form of the same spiritual knowledge. He'd already, he'd already provided all that, but in spite of all that offering to humanity for their upliftment at their most dire time of need, the onset of Kali Yuga, the worst of the worst, Humanity's headed to the bowels of hell in comparison with other ages of mankind. I mean, really, it's that profoundly different. The uptick, I guess, is the current terminology of lust, anger, greed, avarice, was just astounding. Things that mankind would never even consider in other ages. 
thoughts that would never even enter their minds as far as ways to exploit the environment, as far as ways to exploit other living entities, as far as ways to exploit, exploit, and take, and take, and take. These kind of thoughts had not, had not been there in human society until Kali came along after Krishna's advent. So as we discussed, Vyasadeva was discontent. He approached Narada, expressing his discontent, and he entered into samadhi. And that's related in the first canto, in the seventh chapter. What did he perceive in that samadhi? And what was the basis upon that samadhi? In other words, what was the basis upon which he contemplated spirituality? And that, of course, was his desire to to serve humanity in the best way that he could, uh, considering their unfortunate circumstance. I want to, first of all, start where we left off. We left off with Anucheta 43, and we left off there. We covered the commentary, but I want to repeat the Anucheta simply because it represents Sambandha Gyan. And what we're going over tonight are, are the Anuchetas that represent Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojan coming from Jiva Goswami in relationship to the revelation of Srila Vyasudeva. So Anucheta 43, valid interpretation of non-distinction. He's already gone over the invalid thoroughly in eight Anuchetas. This is not the way you're supposed to see spirit. You're not supposed to see spirit as simply you're part of it and the illusion is in the way of your merging into your spirituality. That's not. That's a no-no. That's not what you're supposed to do. And he refuted this whole idea backwards, forwards, from the top, from the bottom, from the left, from the right. He smashed it. So how are we to see those statements? Because there are statements. You are Brahman. Tatwamasi, you are that. You are that, that substance. Aham Brahmasmi, you are a spirit soul. How are we supposed to see those statements? So he explains it quite simply. And this constitutes the Sambandagyan, which is the basis upon which Vaishnavism is drawn from the Veda. Therefore, Scriptural statements referring to the jiva as non-different from Brahman should be consistently reconciled so as to concur with the conclusions Vyasudeva came to in the state of samadhi. So everything we read in Scripture should bring us to the same conclusion as these four verses that we're going to go over tonight from the Srimad Bhagavatam which explain to us Vyasadeva's revelation. This is accomplished by first removing the apparent contradiction in the jivas being both different and non-different from Brahman. 
we start this very thing by understanding the jiva being both different and non-different from Brahman. Remember last class, what were those things that came out? That the jiva has certain characteristics and the Bhagavan has certain characteristics and they're different. That's how we have to look at these statements with that as a backdrop in our understanding. We should understand from the statements teaching non-different that the jivas are one with Brahman and that both are pure consciousness. That's their similarity. They're both pure consciousness. They're conscious entities. That's the oneness that is spoken of in the Veda. And all those statements that that come forth and say you are spirit, you are one with God, you are one with the with Brahman, all those statements are relative to the fact that you are also, in your essence, pure, unadulterated consciousness. Chid Rupa, pure consciousness. Yet, by Brahman's inherent inconceivable potency, which renders possible even the otherwise impossible, jivas are also innately distinct from Brahman in terms of their being his parts. There's a distinction. They're conscious. That's where they're alike. There's also a distinction. They're teeny little particles. They're infinitesimal. They have consciousness, but they don't have all the consciousness. They have limited consciousness, like the infinitesimal rays of the sun's light. So here, after Jiva Goswami has already given us foundational knowledge as to what's wrong with this concept of radical non-dualism, wherein the Jivas conceive of themselves as one with the Supreme, and simply they're in illusion now, somehow or other, coming from that one individual supreme that has no qualities, has no shaktis, is everywhere, has no knowledge, has no ignorance. I mean, every which way we've gone through this, he's gone through this. It just does not make sense. We can't reconcile this. We will certainly say beyond a shadow of a doubt, there are places in the Vedas that say you are spirit soul, you're pure. Certainly, the consciousness of the jiva is fully appreciated in the Vedas. But there's also a supreme consciousness which is distinct from the infinitesimal consciousness which is the jiva. So this verse speaks to Sambandha Gyan in relationship to the proper way to understand Achinta Veda Veda Tattva simultaneously one and difference. Go on to Anacheda 44. Since the Supreme Being and the individual being thus have distinct identities there's differences we went over the differences in the last class since they are different 
the supreme being as the foundation and support of Maya and the individual being as diluted by her that's a pretty big difference it is concluded that devotional worship bhajan of the supreme being is specifically the means abhideya that effectuates the stage of ultimate attainment a causal devotion so this word a causal a causal Mm-hmm. With an A in front of it? It is with an A in front of it. It is defined as follows, a causal. And a causal system is a system that is not a causal system. That is one that depends on some future input values and possibly on some input values from the past or present. This is in contrast to a causal system which depends only on current and or past input values. So when we say a causal, we're adding another element to the system that effectuates a result. Generally, there's some action and there's some cause and there's some result. A causal means it's a little bit more open. It can depend on things from the past. It can depend on things that are coming now. And it can also depend on things that may come in the future. A causal devotion is the Abhideya. Where does this come into play? What's the nature of devotional service? Let's go back to Haitakiya Pratiyata. Unmotivated, uninterrupted. And also what? Yadritshaya. Yes. From Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur and Madhurya Kadambani. Bhakti is what? Completely independent. So, in that nature, that's why this word is being used a causal. We can engage in devotional service, which really has no material cause. It is its own cause. It resides in the heart of the devotees, but the devotees it utilizes. Guru Maharaj likes to use this terminology. Bhakti is working us. We are its agents. We are not the agent that creates bhakti, but rather what? Bhakti is that a causal agent. So this term separates, it segregates bhakti from material cause and effect. Whatever you think you can do to effectuate bhakti, what you're doing to do that is you're engaging in bhakti. So bhakti is the agent. You're simply along for the ride. You're putting yourself in the stream of bhakti. That's our process. We're hearing, we're chanting. All these, all the nine processes, or 64 processes, or five processes, means we're putting our consciousness, we're turning our consciousness, and placing ourselves in the stream of the flow of bhakti. We're serving the devotees. 
the devotee has bhakti in his heart and he seeing us serving him we're engaging in that bhakti and he also is thinking I am not the agent he knows I'm not the agent if anything let me become a transparent by media let me be a medium through which bhakti can flow unimpeded let me speak purely from scripture from what I've heard from my guru let me speak and be let me engage in the practice let me hear let me chant whatever engagement of bhakti is there bhakti is the agent so a causal a causal certainly from the material perspective and a causal also from the spiritual perspective bhakti's doing bhakti, bhakti is her own cause nothing can cause bhakti but bhakti can cause whatever she wants she's what completely independent so i want to go through the verses the four verses that constitute sambandha abhideya and prayoga from the bhagavatam bhakti yogena manasi samyak pranihite malay apashyat purushampurnam mayam chatada pashrayam in that mind this is vyasadeva's mind in that mind was which was undisturbed because it was pure from the performance of bhakti shilavishwanath chakravarti thakur explains that in this verse the phrase bhakti yogena refers to praying bhakti as opposed to sadhana bhakti in these four verses bhakti yoga, bhakti yoga is mentioned twice in the first verse it's referring to vyasadeva's pure mind and pure samadhi and therefore it's talking about his prem it was pure from the performance of bhakti prem bhakti he saw lord krishna complete with all his energies and spiritual expansions he saw krishna completely well you can't say he saw krishna completely because krishna is ever expanding but as much as could be perceived in his samadhi he saw krishna as completely as he could so he saw him he saw with all his energies and all his spiritual expansions and also saw maya who took shelter behind the lord so in his pure samadhi he saw the lord krishna in his original form he saw all of his expansions all of his energies all of his amsas and he also saw maya standing separate yayasamo hito jiva atmanam tri gunatmakam paropi manyate nartham tadkritam cha bipadjate bewildered by that maya the jiva though separate from the three gunas considers himself 
made of the three gunas and takes on material existence created by the gunas. So in this second verse relating his samadhi, and remember, what is the nature of this revelation? This revelation had what? There was some impetus. And the impetus was his discontent. So therefore, in his pure devotional heart, he had a desire to perceive under the direction of his spiritual master what would satisfy the discontent in his devotional practice. He had done a devotional service by making available to humanity in Kali Yuga all the Vedas in written form, all the Vedas, all the Puranas, all the Itihasas. He wrote it all down and the discontent was there. So he approached his spiritual master with the intent of what? Engaging more deeply in his devotional service in a way that he could drive out this discontent. I did the best I could. I did all I thought I had to do. I feel lacking. When when then that happens, what do we do? We approach the guru. We say, I'm doing the best I can in my service and I'm not feeling fully satisfied that I'm doing the absolute best that I can. Is there something that you could recommend for me so that I can get past this impediment? That's how we advance in devotional practice. So he approaches Narda. Please. Narda said, enter into trance. Everything will be revealed to you. Blessed him. You do this, samadhi, do this particular service, this particular bhajan. This we have to see as Vyasudev's specific devotional service to fulfill his sense of inadequacy in what he'd already offered to Krishna. He sees Krishna in his samadhi, he sees Maya standing separate, and he sees the jivas bewildered by that maya. Although they are what? Of the same nature of consciousness. They are conscious. They are spirit. Same as the supreme. And they're not really the gunas. They consider themselves those gunas. And take on material existence created by the gunas. The next text, this is the third of the four texts explaining his samadhi. Anartho pasamam saksad bhakti yogam adoksaje lokas ya janato vidvams chakre sattvata samhitam and vyasa bhakti yoga to the Lord which effectively destroyed Jiva's samsaras. Learn Vyasadev then wrote the Bhagavatam for ignorant people. And Vyasa Bhakti Yoga 
Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur explains in his commentary these verses as I said two times this term Bhakti Yoga comes up in Vyasadeva's trance this is the second time but the second time is referring to what? Sadhana Bhakti the first time Vyasadeva was in Prem Bhakti and he's What's praying let us do? Well, if you're a praying, you can see Krishna face to face. And Vyasa bhakti yoga to the Lord, which effectively destroys Jiva's samsara. Learn Vyasa then wrote the Bhagavatam for ignorant people. Well, he actually rewrote the Bhagavatam. He'd already presented the Bhagavatam as one of the Puranas. But he rewrote it with a specific intent and what was that intent? To bring out the essence of Krishna's appearance. The fourth verse, Yashyamvai Shu Yamanayam Krishna Parama Purushe Bhaktir Upadyate Pumsa Soka Moha Bayapaha. By hearing Bhagavatam, Bhakti for the Supreme Lord. Krishna appears. Hearing it also destroys lamentation, illusion, and fear in the human being. So he saw that Bhagavatam was the remedy, and this last verse explaining the samadhi of Vyasadeva gives the conclusion. What is it that this specific presentation of the Bhagavatam does for suffering humanity which was what? The intent of Vyasadeva's Samadhi. What's it do? If he presents it in the way that he did by hearing it, Bhakti for the Supreme Lord Krishna appears. Hearing it also destroys lamentation, illusion and fear in the human being. The four verses, one, seven, four, in the first of the four verses, Mayam Chadtarapasrayam, Sri Bhagavan is foundation of Maya. He's the source of his external potency. This divine energy of mind, consisting of the three modes of material nature, divine energy of mind, so that Maya is his energy. In the next verse, Yaya Samohito Jiva. Only the Jiva is deluded by Maya. Bhagavan is not deluded by Maya. Brahman has much more to it than simply spiritual energy. It has personality. And it has the supreme personality, the absolute truth, and it has individualized personality all-encompassing both complete and infinitesimal. Bhagavan can never turn into a jiva and a jiva can never turn into Bhagavan. You're not going to cook up a god no matter how many austerities, how much yoga, how much chemical compounds you come up with in your laboratory, you're just not going to cook one up. Bhakti Yoga Madoksa Jay 
And it is by bhakti yoga. Again, the term bhakti yoga used here is sadhana bhakti yoga, that the jiva is released from bondage in unconditional turning of awareness. Only bhakti yoga. So in the Anucheda itself, Jiva's writing of this, this Anucheda, which is 44, the following Sanskrit term is there. The term eva in tad bhajanasya eva means only bhakti yoga. Only bhakti yoga will effectuate this turn of consciousness. Not jnana yoga, and not astanga yoga. Only bhakti can truly eliminate the modes of material nature. Again, we go back to the same verse from Krishna to Arjuna. Daivihesha gunamai mamamaya durachaya mamevaye prapajante maya metam tarantite. This divine energy of mind consisting of the three modes of material nature is difficult to overcome. But those that surrender unto me can easily cross beyond it. Surrender unto me, not become a jnani, not become a yogi, not become so many things. Nothing else will allow, give us and provide us an opportunity to, to rise above the modes of material nature. Jiva goes on, goes on in his commentary to explain. The other paths, it's not that they're of no value. They can elevate you to the platform of Sattva Goon, the topmost of the material modes. It's a nice place to be. From Sattva Goon, you can go to the heavenly planets. You're not going to be affected so much by the lower modes of, of Rajas and Thomas. They cannot elevate you to transcendence. And a verse is quoted from the Srimad Bhagavatam 7th canto, a discussion between Narda and Yudhisthira, to bring this point home. Although there are many verses, we could cite many verses in the Bhagavatam that have this same core element. Ritualistic cer ceremonies, regulative principles, Austerities and practice of yoga are all meant to control the senses and mind. But even after one is able to control the senses and mind, if he does not come to the point of meditation upon the Supreme Lord, all such activities are simply a labor and frustration. That's a lot of labor for nothing because these are not easy disciplines to perform. Jnana Yoga, fully understanding all the elements and, and how the universe, universal elements work. And you have to completely rise above the influence of the, of the modes of material nature to attain knowledge. Jnana goes on to say, the jiva must recognize that he is distinct and subordinate to Bhagavan. Otherwise, he will not have interest in pursuing devotional service. This conviction is essential. What does this mean? Our material sojourn, which is a naughty, we can't even trace out when it began, 
has conditioned us to be God. We're the Lord of all we survey. So much do we have today and so much we will have tomorrow. We, have, we are conditioned to be in charge, to be in control, to be able to decide for ourselves what we want and what we don't want, where we want it, how we want it, who we want it with. This is our conditioning. This is the nature of the material world. Here, take this place, and, and it's, it's yours. We are certainly, you know, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. We can take what we want. We can take the fruits from the tree and enjoy as we like. But until we give up this enjoying mentality, there's no possibility of the seed of love for the supreme growing in our heart. We have to. The, this conviction that we are subordinate has to be taken up. And it has to be fortified regularly. Because Maya's going to come again and again and tempt again and again in so many ways. It's essential. Trunarapi suniche na, trunarapi suhisuna. Amane na manade na kirtaniya sadahari. If we're going to enter into the deepest bhajan with Krishna's holy names, the humility has to be complete and the humility has to be of a nature which is continually reinforced by a sense of saranagati, of surrender. That's the nourishing agent of that humility, is that I do everything that is favorable to the Lord, I don't do things that are unfavorable, I see him as my master, as my protector, as my dear most friend, and I, I completely, completely surrender, complete self-surrender in humility. These six items are there in Saranagati and they are the nourishing agents for the humility that lets us break free from the Lord's external potency. So the next Anocheta, 45, deals with the goal, Pryogen. Any questions? I have one. Yes. It's not really a question, it's just something I thought of. Last discussion we were talking about having to be subordinate. I was thinking about, like in our devotional service, if we don't, if we don't do it as service, you know, if we don't do it in that mood that we are serving the Supreme, then it's actually an impersonal. Because all of these are are things to show that we're, you know, that Krishna's not impersonal. So all these things are related to the personal versus impersonal thing. So if we don't follow, we don't perform our devotional service as devotional service with us being subordinate to Krishna, then it's actually just stemming from our impersonal view and that impersonalism will, will come and take hold. That it's interesting you're talking because that is where the next the next commentary goes into that a little bit is the fact that unless there is that personal that humility, that desire 
then the impersonal root is more natural for us because of our conditioning in material lives. And that's why this, this impersonalism is so dangerous because, yes, the impersonalists and even people in the guise of devotees, which may be ourselves, may worship and, and perform under, under even in good sangha and, and everything, but finally, when we finally break free from the lower modes of material nature, there is the possibility that our intent all along has simply been moksha. We just want the miseries of material existence to come to an end. When that's attained, because that's a byproduct of bhakti, then we we use bhakti simply as a stepping stone to that end. That's why it's so important to hear the Bhagavatam and to engage in the practice in good association because that good association can continually remind us through revelation remember we were chanting a verse and in that verse we were referring to Vishwanath Chakravarti's his right prasanga satam prasanga that higher association which is actually coming from the pure heart will be able to pull us through advancing devotional practice otherwise there's a chance of just engaging in bhajana kriya and bhajana kriya will easily grant liberation from suffering at the very beginning of devotional practice what's the first two characteristics of devotional practice devotional service sadhana bhakti there's three general categories devotional service and practice devotional service and ecstasy and devotional service and pure love of God devotional service and practice has two characteristics kleshagna and subhada Kleshagna being free from from the modes of material nature, from all your sinful reactions, wiped out. By the time you get to the stage of ruchi, asakti, coming up to praying, which is devotional service and ecstasy, these things are eliminated. You're not suffering under the modes of material nature anymore. And what? Subhada. Everything's coming up roses. You're happy. You're finally happy. You've been here since time immemorial and you've never been really happy. Happy. Happy in full happiness. We've never had that. We've sometimes we've been lifted out of the out of the miseries of material existence and we catch a breath and we go, what a relief it is. That's not happiness. That's not Subhada. The Subhada that's being talked about by Srila Rupa Goswami and Bhakti Rasamrita Siddha is a different kind of contentment. I was just reading where um, Sridhar Maharaj, like some, some devotee came to see him and asked to be engaged in some service. And Sridhar Maharaj thought for a minute and he said, you must change your mentality. 
that, that would be your service to change from um, us enjoying spirit to a serving spirit. Yeah, I was thinking too, like that carelessness in our service is kind of a symptom still of impersonalism. We don't think that there's really a person on the other end of our service. So we do it carelessly and make mistakes. Well, we don't take full responsibility. Devotional service means I take full responsibility. Krishna's put me in this position to do a particular service. He's put me in charge. He's given me these resources. He's so many things. Everything requires a level of full commitment and responsibility. When I'm cooking, I'm fully into my cooking. I'm paying attention to what I'm doing. I'm doing it so that Krishna can taste my love. I have to do it with full conviction and and full attention as if I was doing it for myself because I am doing it for myself, my real self, which is Krishna. He is my nature. He is the source of my being, not for what this conception of self is that I have. So yeah, good points. Anything else? Thank you so much for your association. Hare Krishna.